0: 17 as we talk about when Jesus prayed for you. Let's uh, go to the Lord together and pray. Father, we pray for your blessing right now, Lord, as we enter into your time, uh, into this time in your word, Father, that your word living and active would pierce our hearts and our souls, Lord, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit today. With these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you'd like to follow along in your program this morning, there's an outline. And uh, on the back of the outline is a very excellent uh, companion article that uh, Brother Larry Bailey puts together for us. And I commend that to you as well. Well, I, uh, I like funny signs, interesting signs. And so here are a few that I came across recently. Uh, a yellow caution sign showing a curve ahead with a bunch of other squiggly lines going in all kinds of different directions. And of course, you see the word underneath, good luck. That one kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Here's another one that just struck me as odd, covered with dents and holes containing the words, notice, don't throw stones at this sign. That's like an invitation, isn't it? And then uh, this one, a construction sign placed in a, in a closed lane of a highway, and it says, you'll never get into work on time. Ha, ha, that's kind of some sick humor, isn't it? Especially if you're on your way to work. And then another sign uh, has an arrow pointing to the left with the confusing caption, keep right. Which, which way? And then, of course, here's some church signs that stood out to me that made me chuckle. I, I like this one. There are some questions that can't be answered by Google. That's, there's some truth to that one. And then this one, don't let worries kill you let the church help. Wow, we gotta be careful what we say, right? And then this one kind of hit close to home. What's hell like? Come and hear our preacher. Oh my goodness. I feel bad for Pastor Max there. I don't know what, uh, what the sign person was thinking about that day. Well, you know, as I was just thinking about the pluses and maybe the minuses of publicity like this for the church, I then I found myself thinking, you know, what does our sign say? What do people in this community see from Garden Way Church? Well, in today's message, we're continuing a look uh, that we started last week at Jesus' final prayer for his disciples and for us. Uh, as I mentioned last week, this is Jesus' longest recorded prayer in scripture. And he prays it just moments, really, before he is arrested and taken away. And in those final moments before his arrest, you know, Jesus could have prayed for many things. He could have prayed for his own strengths. He could have requested that his 11 guys would hang tough and support him. His his intercession with the Father could have been filled with a desire for the disciples to to become better teachers or servants or givers or leaders or administrators. Instead though, instead Jesus' prayer was dominated really by a single thought. That his followers would portray oneness to the world. You know, if Jesus posted a sign in front of every church, I think it might simply read unity. Unity. That was Jesus' prayer for us. Now, last week, we looked at the first part of that prayer, verses 6 through 19, where Jesus focused heavily on praying for his disciples, particularly for them to be protected and we learned like, uh, that like those early disciples, we too live in a world that's marked by conflict. We're well aware of that, aren't we? We were reminded that though we live in this world, our time here is temporary. And Jesus' prayer for his disciples then and now was that in the midst of all of this brokenness and the decay of this world around us that we would portray some very distinctive marks. Last week we talked about the marks of real joy and of complete trust in the truth of Jesus' word and then a mark of commitment to the, the unified message, the unified mission of Jesus. Now, I was thinking, if Jesus focused such a large part of his final prayer on unity, then doesn't it make sense that we should do whatever it takes to maintain that kind of unity within the Lord's church? I I would pray that we would never be the cause of any unnecessary clashes between Christ followers because Jesus prayed that his followers would have a witness of oneness, of unity to the world. And so this morning, as we consider the last part of the Lord's Prayer, verses 20 through 26, we're going to see that Jesus shifts from his his focus that was on uh, his immediate disciples to those who would come later. That's us. First century Jesus is praying for his followers that are yet to come when he prayed for you. And what is this prayer that Jesus prays? He prays for those future followers to be unified. On the eve of his excruciating death, he utters an appeal for unity. And that tells me that we need supernatural strength to be united with fellow followers. If the early Christians struggled to maintain unity, and and then we do as well, then it's obvious that we need God's help in this area. We can't do it on our own. The very fact that Jesus prayed for unity indicates that we can't possibly accomplish this mission on our own. So how can we pursue unity? That's what we're gonna try and answer in the remainder of our time, to be the one, the one, the united ones. To be one, we must know, first of all, the parameters of oneness. What are the parameters of oneness? A famous 19th century Scottish preacher, a, a guy by the name of Robert McShane, he wrote this, he said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for me. In a moment, we're going to read together this last part of Jesus's prayer, his prayer for us. But I want to do something a little different today. I just want to encourage you, as we read these words, I want you to picture yourself with Jesus sitting nearby. Maybe he's in the next room. Maybe he's in the chair right next to you. I want you to visualize Jesus praying this prayer for you. Listen to his words as he prays in John 17, verses 20 through 23. Let's read these words together. The words of the Lord Jesus. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Amen. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, uh, if we look carefully at this, this prayer, I, I want you to see kind of a gradual growth towards absolute unity. Uh, we'll look at three consecutive verses. In verse 11... Um, or excuse me, in verse 21, it, uh, Jesus prays that they may all be one. And then in verse 22, he says that they may be one even as we are one. And then in verse 23, he says that they may become perfectly one. That word perfect here carries the idea of completion. It comes from a root word that conveys the idea of end or aim, And so Jesus is praying that our goal, that our end, that our aim would be oneness. We will know that we've arrived when we are experiencing complete or perfect unity with other believers. But what does that unity look like? We mentioned last week that biblical unity is not based on things like, oh, like political ideologies or personal preferences or even deeply held religious convictions. Instead, real unity follows the model, the model of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Unity is mission or purpose, but with distinct and unique roles and responsibilities. And so the parameters of oneness include all believers. Jesus doesn't want us to just get along with only a, a few people that we just happen to like. People that are most like us or have the same, you know, leanings or ideas. He doesn't want us just to be unified with everyone in this church. His prayer is that they may all be one, And he's talking about all the future followers of Jesus. And so his prayer is much deeper, much deeper than just us four and no more, right? This kind of exclusive club. Jesus is praying for all believers. True believers in Christ are one, no matter what the slogan is on the church sign. We are redeemed by the same blood and we are going to the same heaven. And that means that we share a common unity or community with believers in the past and in the present and even in the future. Now, I want to add just a few cautions, though, at this point. In our pursuit of unity, we need to be careful. We must, first of all, abandon extreme separation or separatism. You know, some believers refuse to acknowledge that there are any true Christians in other churches, Some groups criticize and label people, even call them names, because they don't hold to the exact same outward standards as they do. And, friends, we damage unity when we practice separatism based on our personal preferences and opinions. And so that is to be avoided. The second thing that we need to watch out for is that we need to avoid ecumenical sloppiness. That's a fancy theological word, all right? Ecumenical, it literally means the whole world. And it is the promotion of union from a worldly perspective, a worldly perspective. Instead of unity based on the truth of Jesus and his word, it's the the watering down of beliefs to the, the lowest common denominator. How low can we go until we all agree, okay, great, then we're all good. But that is not what we need to focus on. We're not focusing on seeking union. There are doctrinal differences and biblical distinctions that must be maintained from the truth of God's word. We saw last week that earlier in this very same prayer, Jesus established that sanctification can only come about when it is based on God's word. Remember, he prayed those words. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so truth alone is, is what determines our unity. Frankly, not all religious people are headed in the same direction. We don't even necessarily serve the same God. Only those who are truly born again, born of the water and the spirit, as Jesus explained back in John 3 to Nicodemus, those are really our brothers and sisters in the faith that we must pursue unity with. Someone wrote, once wrote this, and I thought it was a little humorous. They wrote, you can, uh, <clears throat> you can tie two cats together by their tails and throw them over a clothesline and have unit, union, but there certainly won't be much unity. Oh my, sorry to the cat lovers out there. Now, here's a third warning. Finally, we must adhere to unity, but not uniformity not uniformity. It's possible to be diverse and yet not divided. We are all distinct pieces of the puzzle. And variety is valuable in the Lord's church. We have different gifts and abilities and personalities and thoughts and yes, even opinions. And so we're not called to be the same, but we are called to be one. That means that we can disagree on some things without being disagreeable. We can have harmony even though we are different. Friends, don't expect everyone to be exactly like you and to think the way that you think. That's impossible in a diverse church. And, And by the way, let me just offer some relationship advice for free, all right? You can take it or leave it. But in your marriage or really in any other relationship you're in, when you see, whether it's your spouse or someone in the church or some other person acting differently than you do, and it's not a true biblical issue, here's what you can just say to yourself. You can say it quietly, or maybe you even speak it out loud to yourself. You see that person and you say, not wrong, just different. Not wrong, just different. And friends, that will save you from a lot of unnecessary conflict. Well, next then, we want to look about at the pattern of oneness. We talked about the parameters. Now let's look about the pattern for oneness. The pattern for oneness is linked to the unity of the trinity, in verse 11, Jesus prayed that his disciples would experience the oneness that exists in his relationship with the Father. In, in verse 21, he prayed, may they also be in us. And in verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. And so the union that Christ wants us to have is so intimate, so personal, and so vital that it is patterned after and based on the relations that exist within the Godhead. It is a oneness, not only of faith and hope and love, but of life itself. I like Peanuts cartoons. And uh, in a a Peanuts cartoon, you know, Lucy, she she was a tough tough cookie, wasn't she, Lucy? And Lucy demands that Linus change the channel of the television, threatening him with her fist if he won't do it. But Linus is reluctant to do so. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, Linus says. And Lucy holds up her fist. And then she opens her hand. These five fingers... Individually, she says, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Oh, my. And so Linus, now visibly shaken, says, which channel do you want? But then turning away, he looks at his fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? I love that. Now, friends, rather than a weapon that is terrible to behold, our pattern for oneness is the deep love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And we could say that it is a force that is beautiful to behold. Do you remember back in chapter 13, we looked at this. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he spoke these words. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you, what, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he went on to say, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so the pattern for unity, for oneness, is the love of Christ. Love is not an option. It is a command, and when we do love, people will take notice, and they will know that we are followers of the one who loves unconditionally, and so I want you to just reflect right now. Is there anyone that you don't love right now? Anyone that you're avoiding? Perhaps somebody you're giving the cold shoulder to. Friends, we have our pattern. Let's get organized. Let's get organized. So we've got the parameters. We've got the pattern. And third, we see the purpose of oneness. The purpose of oneness is to accelerate evangelism, to speed it up. Look at the last part of verse 21. So that the world may believe. Notice that we're not just to enjoy unity for our own sake. Sure, it's fun to be on the same page with those around you. But oneness must also include an outward focus. You know, the most winsome way of sharing Jesus is by displaying true unity right within the body of Christ. God's plan for salvation is that the world may believe And one powerful way this is accomplished today is through our unified oneness in the body of Christ. When unity, friends, is fractured within the church, the bridge, the bridge between believers in the world, we could say is just effectively blown up. We've blown up the bridge for people to cross because a disunited Christian community denies by its very behavior the message that it proclaims. That, I think, is why Jesus prayed that his followers should have a witness of oneness to the world. We are the bridge over which people might cross to know Jesus. And someone who is seeking truth is attracted to that oneness, that harmony that should be evident within God's body. When that unity is absent, people can smell it, and they'll run off. You know, lost people are not looking to be a part of another organization. Especially one that is battling over irrelevant issues. And so when an unbeliever looks at believers who are are throwing verbal bombs at each other, he or she might just say, you know, if they can't even agree on the truth amongst themselves, how could they possibly teach me anything about the truth? What's wrong with those people? The purpose of oneness. And then finally, we come to the practice of oneness. The practice of oneness puts God's reputation on display to the world. Think about that for a moment. Our oneness is speaking to the reputation of our Heavenly Father. Verse 22 says that we have been given the glory that was given to Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. The word glory, that represents the the visible manifestation of all of God's attributes. All right, His power, His love, His joy, His peace. Do you remember when Jesus was up on the mountain with the, the three disciples and they saw Him glorified? He was literally glowing. As he connected with the Father, they were able to glimpse for a few moments, in a human sense, the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, That glory, Father, which you gave to me, I'm given to my followers. Wow, that is powerful. Friends, when we are united, truly united, the world will stand up and they will take notice. And they'll notice not us, but God himself, because they will see him in us. They will see his glory reflected through us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so our oneness gives credence to our claims. Specifically, according to verse 23, it says that the world will know two things. First, they're going to know God's mission. What is his mission? He sent his son to be the savior of the world. The world certainly will not believe the father sent the son until we demonstrate spiritual oneness. Notice what it says. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And so our oneness reflects God's mission. It also reflects his message. God loves people. And people will be attracted to the love of God when they see it carried out through practical acts of love. That's why the church is involved in doing activities and organizing programs and going out into the community and feeding hungry people and giving money to organizations that are helping people in crisis, all those things. Why do we do those things? Not so we can feel good about ourselves. Not so that we can check off a list and say, okay, we did that. It's because we want to represent God's mission and his message. We want to reflect that. And God loves people all people he loves struggling people and broken people and addicted people he loves homeless people he loves all people and he expects his body to reflect that love in powerful ways and this means friends when I violate that Christian unity that I am literally hindering the gospel and ruining God's Reputation. His message and his mission get lost in a mess of discordant sounds. Have you ever been to the orchestra? All right, before the, the program starts, the whole orchestra's sitting up there and everybody's playing, tuning up their instruments, getting ready, and it sounds horrible. Have you ever been there? It sounds terrible. The different stringed instruments, you know, getting tuned up, the the woodwinds, everybody's playing, and it's just a mess, a big mess, until the conductor steps up to the podium, taps that little baton, raises his hands, and everything gets quiet for a moment, and then what happens? Beautiful music suddenly comes together all at once. A beautiful arrangement is heard. Every instrument playing their part. Every musician playing together. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. And friends, when we are on a mission, the mission of representing Jesus, living out our faith in practical ways, that's like The beginning of a great symphony. And people settle into their seats and they say, wow, look what God is doing. The the world takes notice. And they will when we practice unity. The huge redwood trees in California incredible if you've never been down to northern california and driven through the redwoods wow they are the largest living things on earth think about that for a moment they're the tallest trees in the world some of them reaching 350 feet high that's a 35 story building friends and some of them more than 2,000 years old before the time of jesus some of those trees were growing Now, you would think that trees that large would have incredible root systems reaching down hundreds of feet into the earth, but you know what? They don't. They don't. In fact, they actually have a very shallow root system compared to other growing things. And what keeps them standing through the storms is that their roots are intertwined, that they're interlocked with the other trees around them, tied together They can withstand the storms, the onslaught. They can withstand anything. And friends, you and I are tied together as well. We are his church. We are his signs, his advertisements. Because as his followers, we have a witness of oneness. Of unity to the world and so may we represent him well after all it was Jesus's final prayer for us that we would do so let's pray together father we are grateful for the the beautiful picture of unity that is portrayed through you and through Jesus and through your Holy